0: And let's take our Bibles and turn over to the Old Testament book of Amos. Back in the Old Testament, after the big, major, long, prophetic books, you come to the book of Amos, Hosea, Joel, Amos. Uh, If you get uh, past Daniel, you'll find Hosea, Joel, and Amos. And I want us to look at Amos for a few moments this evening. We are taking some Sunday evenings scattered through this year to Consider some of the major messages from the minor prophets. They're minor because they're short. They're major because they have really important messages and, and uh, truths that God was delivering to his people. And so we're looking at the book of Amos. We took a couple of Sunday nights ago to look at a historical interlude that comes in the middle of the book of Amos, where Amos revealed who he was and where God had sent him to preach. It's in the middle of chapter 7. We learn that that Amos was just a country boy. He was from the south. He was uh, from the farming area. He was a farmer. Uh, He was a a caretaker of animals, a herdsman. And uh, God called him to go to the industrialized north, to the capital city of the northern kingdom, to Bethel. And uh, he was sent up there to deliver a message from God. He was a country hick. in an an industrialized, sophisticated area, and he didn't fit, and uh, his message didn't fit for sure, and the preachers in that area tried to drive him out of town, told him to take his message and go back down to the country where he belonged. They didn't want to hear what he had to say, and so he's an interesting character for sure. On the little worksheet that you just received uh, from Jensen's survey of the Old Testament, Amos was God's prophet to prosperous Israel, steeped in religiosity, immorality, and complacency. Amos was one of the most colorful personalities among the prophets. He was humble and rugged, a son of the wilderness like Elijah and John the Baptist. One writer says that his was one of the most wonderful appearances in the history of Of the human spirit. I like Amos, a southern country boy preaching to an industrialized northern nation of Israel. Well, the book of Amos is a phenomenal book. Uh, It's got some powerful lessons for us to learn. God gave us the record of the Old Testament preachers as examples to current preachers as to how to preach as to what to preach, as to how to be willing to deliver God's message to the people that, uh, that need to hear that message, regardless of whether those messages are well-received or not. Uh, the Old Testament preachers are phenomenal examples for preachers today to follow, and for church members to know how to choose a church. Uh, do you want a church where the preacher preaches like the preachers of the Bible Or do you want a smooth-talking salesman that will make you feel really good about yourself? And uh, those preachers have always existed. They existed in the Old Testament. They existed in the New Testament. And so God addresses his people, tells them what to look for in a preacher. And he tells preachers how to approach the ministry of preaching the messages of God. And Amos is an amazing study in that regard. Amos is a very stern book. It's a very serious book. It's a message. It's a, 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 a collection of messages that God used Amos to deliver that were hard to hear by the people of the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, they were messages that uh, that cut to their hearts and laid them open before God. And they didn't want to hear those messages. They didn't like Amos as a preacher. They wanted rid of him. And yet, God has preserved this amazing historical record of this Old Testament preacher for our instruction. Now, what I want us to learn from the book of Amos this evening is just a little bit of the over, uh, the, the uh, to look through the book, see the overview of the book of Amos. And there are three major parts of Amos. I've listed them on your little worksheet What ups, as questions. What upsets God? What do we need to understand about what upsets God? And what is coming down the pike for us? Those are the three questions that the book of Amos answered. He answered those questions thousands of years ago to the nation of Israel. And they're still pertinent today. What upsets God? What do we need to understand about what upsets God? And what's coming down the pike? Those are the three big questions. Now, I want us to see the answer to these questions. Verse, chapter 1 and 2 identifies Amos as a preacher to the northern kingdom. He was a contemporary of Hosea. By the way, Hosea and Amos both preached at the same time to the same people who were in the same situation. And they are as different as night and day. Amos was very stern, speaking of the judgment of God against sin. Hosea was, was very uh, broken over sin. Amos emphasized the judgment of God. Hosea emphasized the mercy of God, if we would repent. They were preaching to the same people at the same time, and yet they were very different. God used each of them to address the people of God in the nation of the northern kingdom about the situation they were in. So what what is it that upsets God? Well, in chapters 1 and 2, Amos lists eight burdens that he carried on his heart. And those eight burdens were directed to eight different nations. And these eight burdens are listed there on on your little worksheet. And they're all about nations that were being cruel against others. That's what upsets God. Cruelty against innocent people upsets God. He started with Syria, then Philistia, then Phoenicia, then Edom, then Ammon, then Moab, then Judah, then Israel, if you look down that list. On the, um, on the next slide, you see a little bit of the uh, map of this area. And uh, I want you to see how he went around the, the world of the people of God at that time. Uh, somebody called out to me, what was the first nation that he mentioned? Where was it? Syria. That's up here. What's the next one? Where is it? What did you say? Philistia. Okay, Gaza. The, the the list on the sheet there, he, he gives you the, the, the name of the of the area where the city was. Gaza was... Was the coastal area. Then what did he mention? Hmm? Phoenicia, Phoenicia that's a little bit further south. Let's see, Phoenicia. Uh, Phoenicia was up here and um, Gaza was down here, Philistia. Then what did he mention? Edom was south of the Dead Sea. Then what did he mention? Ammon. Ammon's over here. Then what did he mention? Moab. Moab's over here. Then what did he mention? Judah. And then what did he mention? Israel. He went around the world. He was preaching from Bethel and he started up here at 12 o'clock and he went around to the nations that surrounded Israel and Judah. Then he addressed Judah, the southern kingdom, and Israel, the northern kingdom. Now, if you were to go through and study all those, you'll, you'd notice something. Each one of them, opened. by the way, look at verse number two. Verse number two, as he introduces himself, he says, and he said, The Lord will roar from Zion. That's Jerusalem. That's Zion. The Lord will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. This, even though he's preaching up in Bethel to the northern kingdom, Jerusalem is the center from which God speaks. And he sees God as a mighty lion roaring his message out from Jerusalem. Now, you'll notice then in verse number three, thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four. Verse number six, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four. Verse nine, for three transgressions of Tyrus and for four. Verse eleven, For three transgressions of Edom and for four. And you'll follow that through all of these eight burdens. What is that talking about? For three transgressions and for four. It's not arithmetic. He's saying you have gone one step too far. There in the little box. The first time God rebukes. The second time God threatens. The third time God lifts his hand. And the fourth time God smites. You have gone one step too far. And now it's time for God to smite you. Judgment is imminent. It's time for the judgment of God. And so he delivers this, these eight burdens. And if you look down through what, he, what he's talking about, uh, he's talking about cruelty and war, the tearing and mangling of bodies with iron instruments. He's talking about the slavery of an entire region. He's talking about, again, the slavery of an entire region. He's talking about the constant hatred of Judah. He's talking about the extermination of countries to expand to new areas. He's talking about cruel revenge. All the way through the countries round about Judah and Israel, the thing that really gets God upset is the cruelty towards other peoples. And God says, you've stepped too far God's ready to judge you. Now, Judah and Israel were not addressed with regards to cruelty in their treatment of others. For Judah, they rejected the Word of God. They didn't care what God said. They were going to live their lives and do what they wanted to do. They didn't care what God said. No one's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to live like I want to live. They rejected the Word of God. That was the thing that was announced against Judah for Israel, if you go and study in chapter 2, it was bribery and greed and adultery and selfishness and ingratitude and drunkenness were sins that are all mentioned in the message of judgment that upsets God. You'll notice that when it came to the heathen people around Judah and Israel, it was cruelty. Within Israel, it was disobedience to the word of God And committing the sins that God told him not to commit in the word of God. Interesting. These are the things that upset God. Something else I want you to take note of. Notice that Amos preached politically against the behavior of political empires. Round about the people of God. You notice that? If Amos was preaching today, he'd be preaching about Putin and Russia. He'd be preaching about what Russia has done to to, uh, Ukraine. He would be referring to countries, to, to, to cities in Ukraine that have been bombed. He would be announcing the judgment of God against Putin and against Russia for what the government of Russia has done to a neighboring country in cruelty, destroying bombing civilians, bombing hospitals, bombing places where people are refugees trying to escape the the devastation. And Amos, as a preacher of God, would be preaching on the politics of the day. I point that out because today's a day in which preachers are encouraged don't get political. The people who say don't get political really don't know their Bible because throughout the Bible, preachers preached about the politics of the day in which they lived. They showed what nations, what governments, and what churches, and what individuals do wrong because the preaching of the Word of God requires the preaching against sin, whether it's politically, nationally, or whether it's individually and personally. And we find that throughout the Bible. And so it's interesting to note that an example that God gave us of Bible preaching is preaching against the politics of the day in the nations of that day and announcing the judgment of God upon those nations for their cruelty to others and for breaking the word of God and for committing sins that God condemns In the Bible, that's all the example of what upsets God and what God tells His preachers to preach to the people that are upsetting Him because of their behavior. Some of those nations were heathen nations, but even heathen nations don't escape Bible preaching. Even heathen nations were condemned for the cruelty that they were inflicting upon their neighboring countries. And God gave Amos the messages and told him, to preach now, that's that's just a just a, a thumbnail sketch of chapters one and two about what upsets God and what was upsetting God in Amos' day that God sent Amos up there and told him to deliver these messages. Second question is what do we need to understand about what upsets God? And in chapters three to chapter six, we have three messages that. Amos delivered to the people in Bethel so they would understand what God wants them to know. At the bottom of page number one there, Israel is enjoying a time of peace and prosperity and religious revival. People were attending services and bringing their offerings, but God saw their hearts. Their hearts were far from God. These are the people of Israel. And so God tells Amos to preach three sermons. In the outline, I put the outline on the back uh, of the worksheet, just some different information about Amos uh, for your own personal Bible study. The outline uh, shows that he looked around him, delivering eight burdens. Then he looked within Israel and delivered three sermons. And then he'll look ahead, what's coming down the pike, and he'll deliver six visions. But I want you to zero in just for a moment on these three sermons that he preached. He preached a sermon of explanation he preached a sermon of accusation and he preached a sermon of lamentation he explained to them what god wanted them to understand he accused them of what they were doing wrong and then he wept over them he wept over them he wept over their sins he wept over the things that were doing they were doing that were going to bring the judgment of god into their lives and into their nation He was brokenhearted over the sin of the people, knowing what that was going to bring from a just God. I want you to see how this plays itself out. I'm looking at chapter 3. This is the message of explanation. Chapter 3, hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel, according to the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt, saying, you only have I known of all the families of the earth, Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Here's an important lesson. God was explaining to them the power of cause and effect. That privilege brings responsibility. God said, O oh Israel, you. I brought up you from the land of Egypt saying you only have I known of all the families of the earth. They were a privileged family. God brought them up out of Egypt. God created the nation of Israel. Out of the descendants of Abraham. God gave them the law. God instructed them to build the tabernacle. God told them how to worship him. God told them how to walk with him. How he would bless them. If they would do right. And how he would curse them if they do wrong. They had an amazing relationship with God. They had great privilege. Of all the families of the earth. God chose this family. Therefore will I punish you. Notice the therefore. Privilege brings responsibility. When you have privilege from God, that requires your action. And when you don't fulfill the privilege, that brings judgment from God. The therefore is critical in this message. And and, and it comes... You know, down in verse number 11 again, he said, therefore, thus saith the Lord. Every sermon, each of these three sermons, each sermon had a therefore in it. The first sermon, the sermon of explanation, lays out the the power of cause and effect. Because I've done this for you, I expect something out of you. And if you don't do what I expect, it's going to have an effect. He, this is where he, he used some interesting illustrations that are often used in our, in our vernacular even to this day. He said in verse number 3, can two walk together except they be agreed? You, you've heard that phrase all your life, haven't you? Can two walk together except they be agreed? That, that's a common cliche in the English language, in all Western, uh, the, the Western uh, uh, culture, uh, the phrase. Most people that use that phrase don't know they're quoting Scripture. God said there's cause and effect. If you're walking together, it's because you had agreed to go to the same location. And so walking together is the effect that comes out of the cause. What caused you to walk together, you decided to go to the same location. So you find yourself walking together. And he goes down through here. He talks about, he talks about a lion roaring. That's the effect. What causes a lion to roar? It's killed a prey. He talks about a bird in a snare. A bird caught in a snare is the the effect. What caused that to happen? Someone set the snare for the bird. He talks about a trumpet being blown by a watchman on a city wall. The blowing of the trumpet is the effect. What caused him to blow the trumpet? There was an invading army approaching. And that caused him to blow the trumpet. And in verse number 7 and 8 he said the lord god will do nothing but he revealeth his secret unto his servants the prophets the lion roared who will not fear the lord god hath spoken who can but prophesy the cause is god revealing to a preacher his truth what effect does that cause have the preacher gets up and preaches The preacher is seen as a lion roaring. The lion hath roared. Who will not fear? The Lord has spoken. Who can but prophesy? When when preachers preach, if they're Bible preachers, they're preaching because of something God said in His Word. And so all the way through here, there's an explanation. The explanation is simple. God expects something out of you if He has privileged you to be where you are, to know what you know, to have what you have. Of all the families of the earth, I've blessed you, and so I expect something from you. If you don't live up to the expectation I have of you, therefore, in verse number 11, therefore thus saith the Lord God, and he begins to speak about the judgment of God. So the first message is a message of explanation that privilege brings responsibility, that there is cause and effect in our relationship with God. The second message is a message of accusation, and it's uh, chapter number 4, where he accuses the people of Israel of their sinfulness. And in verse number 12, after accusing them of their sin, verse 12 says, Therefore, thus will I do unto thee, O Israel. And he announces his judgment. He said, Prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. Prepare to meet me. I'm coming to judge you because you've not lived up to the expectations that I expected out of you for all the privileges that I've given to you. And then there's finally a message of lamentation. A message of lamentation. It goes from chapter 5 to the end of chapter number 6. And this is a, a message of weeping. And all the way through here, you see, you see Amos weeping. Hear ye this word, chapter 5, verse 1 says, which I take up against you, O uh, even a lamentation, O house of Israel. And when, when you go through chapters 5 and 6 over and over again, you find Amos weeping, weeping over the sin of people, weeping over the judgment of God that's going to come And engulf their lives because that's what they deserve. God is a just God. And and they're going to face that judgment. They're going to meet God. And they're going to have to be dealt with. And Amos weeps over the condition of the people to whom God sent him to preach. A message of lamentation. And so there's these three messages that take in the middle part of the book uh what 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 really bothers God? what does God get really angry over what upsets god a- and then and then what do we need to understand about this upsetting god e- explanation, accusation, and then lamentation over the failure of the people and that brings us to the last section and it's a section that looks out into the future to see what's coming down the pike. And Amos used a series of, of, um, of illustrations or of visions. He spoke of locusts, fire, a plumb line, and then he speaks of summer fruit, an altar, and a kingdom. A number of different, uh, uh, six different visions that he saw that God showed him that he told the people of God about. I want you to just notice uh, a couple of them. Uh, in, in, uh, in, verse number, in chapter 7, verse number 7, Thus he showed me, and behold, the Lord stood upon a wall made by a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. Now, uh, Every uh, mason knows what a plumb line is. A plumb line is an object that usually has a point to it, and it's suspended from a string. And it's the way a carpenter or a mason can find out exactly where on the ground is right underneath that point up there with a perfectly straight line, not a crooked line. That way I can build the wall perfectly straight and it won't lean to one side or the other. It's a plumb line, common tool in the uh, in the uh, toolbox of uh, lots of carpenters and lots of uh, lots of now laser laser lights have taken the place of the uh, of the plumb lines. They just stick a little laser on the ground that shoots up, and but it was always the plumb line. God showed Amos a vision of a plumb line and a wall that was made perfectly straight because the plumb line reveals anything that's out of kilter. If the wall is getting a little bit crooked, the plumb line immediately shows exactly how crooked it is and where it went crooked. What is this vision of a plumb line all about? The more I learn about God through the Word of God, the the meaning of His names, His attributes, the more I learn about God, the more I learn about how God thinks, then I can see if I go off kilter from the Word of God. I'll see where morally I've gone off kilter from the Word of God. I'll see where in every area of life I've gotten away from the truth of the perfect plumb line of the Word of God. So Amos is preaching to the people, looking down the road where we're going as a nation and how we need to have the plumb line active in our lives to be able to be right where we need to be. I want you to notice the last message. I want you to notice that Amos ends the book with a powerful statement about what is coming down the road in a positive way. I'm going to jump in at chapter 9 and in verse number 8. Chapter 9 verse 8, behold the eyes of the Lord God are upon the sinful nation. I will destroy it from off the face of the earth, saving that I will not utterly destroy, that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob saith the Lord. For lo, I will command and I will sift the house of Israel among the nations, like as corn is sifted in a sieve. Yet shall not the least grain fall upon the earth. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, which say, Evil shall not overtake nor prevent us. In that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen and close up the breaches thereof. I will raise up his ruins and I will build it as in days of old that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the heathen which are called by my name saith the Lord that doeth this. Behold the days come saith the Lord that the plowman shall overtake the reaper the treader of grapes him that soweth seed and the mountains shall drop sweet wine and all the hills shall melt and I will bring again the captivity of my people of Israel. And they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink the wine thereof. They shall also make gardens and eat the fruit of them. And I will plant them upon their land. And they shall no more be pulled up out of their land, which I have given them, saith the Lord thy God. Notice that the preacher ended in optimism. He ended on a high note. Yes, he preached on sin. Yes, he preached on judgment. Yes, he was honest with the people and told them that they were facing the imminent judgment of God. But he held out hope. What do I learn from all that? Well, in the very bottom of your little worksheet, here's what I learned about being a preacher. I learn that I should always be optimistic and end the sermon in hope. Sermons that deal with judgment, sermons that deal with sin, sermons that are hard to swallow always need to end with hope. God loves you. God wants to restore you. God will restore Israel. And there is a day coming they'll be back on their land. They'll they'll be saved. They'll worship Jehovah God. And there's a great and a grand and a glorious future in front of us. Bible preaching ends optimistically with hope. There's hope for me. Second thing I learned is to be willing to preach unpopular messages. Truth always trumps popularity. Truth always trumps popularity. Amos is a dynamic example of that. As the historical interlude in the middle of chapter 7 that we looked at in the first message on Amos showed us Amos was not a popular person in Bethel. And yet, he didn't go home. He didn't change his sermon. He did what God sent him there to do. And he preached unpopular sermons because that's what God told him to do. Bible preaching always lifts truth above popularity. And finally, the third thing I learned is that the only thing that averts judgment is repentance. And you get that when you read through and study the book of Amos. He held out hope for them if they would repent. He showed them that God loved them and that they needed to repent of their sins so they could have the blessing of God. Let me just show you a couple last things. Look at chapter 3 and verse 2. Chapter 3 and verse 2. Here are the two key verses in the book of Amos. Chapter 3, verse 2. We mentioned it a moment ago. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, will I punish you for all your iniquities. Judgment for abused privilege. And then notice chapter 5 and verse number 24. Chapter 5 and verse number 24. The Bible says, Let judgment run down as waters and righteousness as a mighty stream. It's recognized as one of the key verses in Amos because Amos is often used as the book on social justice because of those, those, um, uh, those burdens that he delivered in the first couple of chapters when he went around the, the tour of, of the world around Judah and Israel. He kept pointing out, this nation has done this, this nation has done this, this nation has done this. And all of them had to do with cruelty ...to innocent people. And so therefore, the book of Amos is often used as a book to teach social justice. That we should be just in our social dealings with people. I'm not using that term in a modern political sense. I'm using it in its actual meaning. Social justice is to be just in our social settings... ...in how we react and deal with other people. And Amos is the book on social justice in the Bible... Emphasizing right treatment to people. Let, just, let justice, let judgment run down as waters. Let righteousness as a mighty stream. Amos wanted right. He wanted nations and individuals to do the right thing. God is a just God. God is a righteous God. And let the justice and righteousness of God flow through our country like a mighty river. Causing us to be right and do right. That's the key verse of the book of Amos. The book on social justice. One last thing. Look at the quote here from uh, William Graham Scroge. Uh, about comparing Hosea to Amos, I thought this was very interesting, Hosea and Amos both preaching at the same time to the same people, very different preachers. William Graham Scroggie said, the contrast between Hosea and Amos is impressive, and it has much to teach us. They both ministered in the reign of Jeroboam II, but they dealt with the situation in different ways. God chooses men to present different aspects of truth to the same people. And these varying emphases are not contradictory, but complementary. Amos is a preacher of righteousness, but Hosea of mercy. Amos embraces heathen nations in his survey, but Hosea never goes beyond Israel and Judah. What Amos was, or has in width, Hosea has in depth. Amos sees the nation purified by judgment Hosea sees it surviving judgment by repentance. The emphasis of Amos is on the justice of God, but the emphasis of Hosea is on his love. Amos is very stern, but Hosea is very tender. Amos preaches God's sovereignty, but Hosea proclaims his salvation. Interesting. Analysis by William Graham Scroggie of these two contemporary preachers of God preaching to the same people at the same time very differently because God had different messages that he wanted those people to hear. God help us to be students of his word. Preachers of the Bible give us examples of Bible preaching and help us to understand what is Bible preaching. And what we should want from our churches, from the pulpits in our churches, regarding the truths of God.